Welcome to Gen Z Hoops. The Gen Z Basketball Coaching and Sports Business Show. On this podcast, you'll learn from professional players, coaches, and executives from all over the world and see the court in a brand new way. And now, joining you courtside, your Gen Z host, John Hartafillis. Coach Elliott, what's going on? I'm doing good. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, getting in touch. Really excited to have you on. Obviously, I, I, I first uh, kind of knew of you when I went to Yeshiva to watch my good friend Ryan Kennedy, a, a big supporter of the show, a play against you guys. It must have been two years ago now, uh, or maybe maybe it was three years ago with, with COVID and everything. I'm mixing the dates up, but seeing what the, the great atmosphere you guys have there um, in, at, at Yeshiva, the way your team plays, the way your team's coach, I was always like, wow, like, this is something really interesting. And then when I saw you on LinkedIn, I was like, okay, like I have to reach out to him. And this guy, this guy is really, really cool. And you're doing some really cool stuff. So thank you so much for coming on. And really, just to get started, I, I want to ask you where this basketball journey maybe started. I mean, when, when, when you're Career when you were a kid, did you maybe realize you're going to coach later on? Like, how did this all come about for you? So, my father and grandfather actually both uh, were high school basketball coaches. So, I, I got involved in the game early on. Um, I was not that good, really. Uh, you know, kind of growing up and early on, I was. Um, I did not make my uh, middle school team. Six, seven, eight, three. Went home and cried every year after tryouts. Did not. Uh, you know, got cut. High school, I uh, I started being able to play. I got a little bit better. Had a little bit of a growth spurt. You know, I had a pretty good, uh, pretty good senior year in my high school, which uh, ended up uh, putting me at yeshiva for college, uh, where I was able to play for. Uh, the three years that I was there and um, I got into coaching kind of a little bit after that but more so on the on the training side actually like, like Ryan's doing now a little bit I had a uh, little five-day basketball camp that I was running with my brother uh, which led which ultimately led to a, a varsity coaching position at one of the local high schools on Long Island you know a few years later and uh, another school in between and some international competition uh, through Maccabi USA and uh, I ended up at the Yeshiva job. It's really cool. Definitely, there's so much to unpack there. I mean, and one thing I really want to uh, hone in on is that you were a high school coach, maybe right first starting off. And a lot of times, high school coaches don't get the love they deserve, right? And there's some great coaches at the high school level. I mean, what, what was it like for you when I mean, picking up a lot of skills, right, at, at, at that grassroots level? I loved, I loved coaching high school. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that I think if it changed for me at some point, you know, with with yeshiva or in general, I, I would go right back to it. I I loved it. I loved teaching. I loved being around the guys. It was it was a fun experience. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a learning experience. I, I remember my first year going in and I kind of had, you know, I really did not have much of an idea what I was doing. I spent a lot of time watching coaching videos, talking to coaching, you know, to friends in the industry who are either, you know, other high school coaches or some college coaches that I knew and just trying to, you know, pick people's brains and figure out how to kind of, you know, how to kind of run a program and, and teach at that level, whether it was, you know, defensively, offensively, all those things. And I, and I think each year I kind of was able to pick up another piece of the puzzle. I feel like it's something I'm still obviously still trying to do. You try to learn and get better every year, you know, just like, just like our our players do coaches try to do the same thing but you know i think thankfully by the time i finished uh coaching at the high school level i, I think i was there probably about probably around 10 years where i was coaching high school ball i had picked up enough pieces of the puzzle where i could kind of you know start to make the jump but but even then that you know first couple of years uh even at yeshiva the first couple of years you're, you're just you're so overmatched by by college coaches who have been doing it for a long time they they understand the you know the video and the scouting game a lot better than i did at the time and you know what it takes to kind of win at that level and you know so you kind of start that process over of, of you know putting together those pieces each year and trying to gain experience and get better and and all those things it's incredible right and, and seeing how you could maybe take those skills from from anything but also interestingly enough you were also coaching the team the team usa u18 team over in israel so i mean that's that i found that super interesting how you're doing that while coaching in high school like how did that even come about for you 
So the Israel games actually, I believe, worked out that it was in between two of the high school positions that I had, and it was a year that I had taken off from coaching. So I ended up being able to do that without an issue. Before that, I had actually gone to Australia and done the same thing with the uh, with the US 18 under team uh, for the Maccabee games there. And that was actually, I think it was over a winter vacation or a summer. I don't remember what it was, but it somehow did not affect the season. So I was able to go and do it. But that that was also a great experience. That was one of the places where I you know, really learned a lot about, you know, coaching higher level players. Honestly, that, that trip to Israel was uh, was awesome, you know, obviously in its own right. But even from the coaching perspective, I was working with a coach from uh, Philadelphia, a guy named Jamie Chadwin, who I learned a ton from, uh, specifically about coaching defense. So, you know, you, you come home with relationships, you come home with good ideas, and you come home with kind of a, a concept on how to relay those ideas to your players. And, and I, I definitely became a better coach over that trip. It's incredible. I'm thinking about that international experience and obviously taking that and bringing it back with you. Fast forward a few years to once you got the job at Yeshiva, come back to your, to your alma mater. I mean, what was, I mean, how, how did that all play out for you? And how, how honored were you to come back to Yeshiva and can, kind of pick up where you left off as a player? Yeah, that was, that was an awesome thing. It was definitely not something that I was expecting. I was kind of really set in, uh, at the high school I was at, and I thought I was going to be there a long time. And then, you know, when the job opened up, uh, I actually didn't even apply for it initially. I had a few people, a few alumni reached out and, and uh, convinced me to put my name in. The process was, uh, was a long process, and I you know, definitely did not have the experience, I think, that a lot of the people on the search committee were looking for, being that I had not coached at the college level at all. Uh, and um, somehow uh, I was able to get in a room with them and put out a... Uh, Nice uh, color printed, uh, you know, a kind of a booklet on uh, what my philosophies were and what I wanted to do at that level. And uh, I guess I guess I sold myself pretty well, and uh, you know, it worked out. And it was de definitely exciting to be able to go back to that gym, you know, being that, uh, you know, being that uh, in that facility and somewhere where I obviously played, went to school, and you know, a place that I have uh, a lot of good feelings about. Incredible. And then maybe digging into a, into what, like the, the transition into right now, you guys are a powerhouse division three. I mean, when you guys first got there, I mean, what was the kind of like building the program from the ground up and seeing how maybe some teams didn't take you too seriously at the beginning. And then as the years kind of went on, now it's like, okay, let's use that misconception to our advantage. And boom, now you guys are at the top of the mountain. Yeah. I don't know that we're at the top of the mountain or that call us quite a powerhouse yet, but uh, you know, we're, 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 certainly that's the goal. I think it's the goal for everybody in, in, our, in our conference and probably everybody in, in, in the country in terms of division three is to become a powerhouse. I think we're, you know, certainly Certainly taking good steps and you know we've had obviously some really good players over the last few years that have put us in a really good position to uh, succeed we've had a couple of seasons where obviously we thought we could have a lot of success that were you know cut short by other circumstances uh, around us you know obviously with with uh, with COVID and, and, and everything in the pandemic going on you know so I, I don't know that I could say we've gotten to the top and you know maybe the circumstances are a little bit what limited us up, but you know but we'll never know there's 16 other teams that are 15 other teams I should say that two years ago could make the same claim that, that we could to that to that season and how it would have ended and all rightfully so and then obviously last year with no postseason you know we certainly had a, a good year but a short one and uh, felt pretty good but you know we feel pretty good about how we'll look going into this year as well and, and hopefully we'll have that chance to continue to kind of you know climb that mountain like you're saying and and become a powerhouse but yeah it, it started off I think I think a lot of the pieces were there already when when I got there you know I think it was uh function of obviously you know a little bit of recruiting and, and bringing in a couple of guys that I think changed the the culture and kind of the way people were thinking around there and I think that was the biggest step you know once that happened and we started to obviously put you know put wins out on uh, on you know in, in the win column and 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 you know start to limit the losses and, and play better ball and you know once we started to uh, you know run stuff uh, 
that was a little bit more unique to you know what we wanted to do in terms of motion offense and 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 the way we guard and I think that kind of catapulted us a lot in terms of our you know the national attention we were getting and then obviously uh, you know the success over the last couple of years with some of the players we've had have uh, put us up towards the top of the country for now. And we're definitely going to dive into all that, but you mentioned the motion offense you guys are running. And I've, I've noticed, right, you've talked about it uh, before, about how much of an emphasis you guys place on post touches, ball reversals, really moving the ball. And all, all 16 of your guys are super unselfish. I mean, how does that maybe play such a role in, in, in the second longest win streak in Division Two history, which I think in some cases could be considered uh, powerhouse material when you're uh, the second greatest win streak of all time. But what uh, goes into all that into making your team so successful? I think I think you nailed it. Uh, I think the key thing is, is the selflessness. And, you know, we talk about it all the time. We talk about the difference between, you know, selfish players unselfish players and then selfless players and you know uh selfish players there's obviously no place for i don't think any program has a place for selfish players and, and honestly there's not a lot of them uh, at the college level if you're a selfish player you generally aren't gonna you know be able to play at that level and and, and compete with the team um, we don't have any thankfully we haven't i've really never had selfish players there are unselfish players unselfish players are guys who you know they'll kind of you know they'll work their ass off and they're working their ass off to get you know a really good shot to uh to help their team you know they're not looking to take bad shots they're working really hard to get a good shot we try to get our guys to another level which we call the selfless level and i know unselfish and selfless are supposed to mean the same thing but to us they don't for us the selfless level is those same guys working just as hard to get their teammate a shot opposed to getting themselves a good shot they're working to get their teammate a shot and it's kind of trusting that process and that and that mentality that it's going to lead to ultimately our best players getting the best possible shots throughout the course of the game and i think the fact that our guys and you know from our captains down have bought into that concept and really have lived it and they speak about it and when they're interviewed in a post game you know about their triple double or whatever stats they're putting up their their first comment is generally you know we don't we don't really care we're you know it could be me tonight it'll be another guy another night um you know we're chasing w's we don't we don't really care about the numbers we're looking for letters and i think that mentality fits right in obviously with the concepts that we're running in terms of motion and has you know allowed us to have that success without it i think we'd be dead Super interesting about that, right? In terms of how how much that that, that culture really drives the, 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 the everything that's going on on the basketball court. And I love that line. I'm, I'm gonna definitely gonna have to keep that and maybe reiterate that in terms of we're, looking, we're chasing letters, not numbers. That's 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 huge. That's something that I, I love that line. It's it, it's a, it's really beautiful and encapsulates us so much about the game. But a lot of this like unselfish play, right? It comes into the philosophy you guys have of bringing the ball to the action rather than bringing the action to the ball, which I love that, right? It's so much such, such a focus on off ball movement and things going away from the ball. I mean, what is how, how does that really take shape um, on the court? When, when, when even even as much as you preach it in practice. Yeah, so it's the philosophical difference from what 99% of the country is running. So, you know, I've had I had a coach say to me once, actually, you know, it's, it, when they scout Yeshiva, it's kind of like they go into their meeting, you know, their, their, their meeting that week with their team, and they almost have to say to them, hey, you know all the stuff we talk about, about help defense and, and seeing the ball and, and making sure that you're, you know, available and help on the guy who's penetrating with the ball. Forget everything we've been doing all season, and now let's worry about the four guys who don't have the ball. So it's just a very, it's a very difficult thing to adjust to. And some of the teams in our conference, you know, do a really, really good job at it actually, and and have guarded us well over the years. But I think from a, from a conceptual standpoint, it's worked well for what we're trying to do um, and the way we want to move our guys around the floor. 
Uh, and then at the same time, also in terms of avoiding kind of being scoutable. I think the first couple of years, we were running a lot of kind of set plays or set actions that had a, you know, even if it was not a defined result, it was, you know, a defined area of the court where it might have been, you know, one or two options that were a defined result. And coaches are just, especially in our conference, they're, they're too smart for that. And they just kind of figure it out. And you're putting your guys in a position where they have to make, you know, a more difficult play than is necessary. Whereas with motion, it's, you know, one of those things where you're teaching concepts and you're teaching principles. And you're allowing your guys to kind of just be players, you know, and, and, and think for themselves and, and react to what the defense is giving them. And I think that concept alone has made us very hard to scout in terms of what our, you know, what's going to come out of our offense each time down court. Because every time we come down court, we don't really know what's going to happen at the end of the play. So how's our opponent going to know? So, you know, that, that's kind of, uh, I think, what's allowed it to be so successful. I love that, right? Thinking about how you guys don't even know what's going to happen. It just kind of does. And your opponent has, of course, at that, by that point, has no idea about how much you scout. You, you really have no idea what's going to happen next. And it all kind of ties into why you sit during games. Right? I've heard you talk before about how you have full trust in your team and you, you sit there. And, and some people might say, oh, well, every you know, the, the, the image of a coach is standing and screaming their head off. But I, I'm curious, right? What makes you so confident in your team that you guys have put the practice in to where you have the luxury of sitting during a game? I mean, we, we work really hard on preparing for practices. We work really hard in practice. I, I like to look at it, you know, it's, it, there's, there's some aspects of game management, obviously. It's, not, it's probably not as much as people think. The best is uh, we go into halftime. Sometimes, uh, you know, we're down, let's say, 8 or 10. We're not playing so well in the first half. And then we come out and have a great second half and win by 10, 15 points. And everybody loves to give credit to the coach that they, that they made adjustments at halftime. Um, we had it last year, actually, where uh, we were playing – up in Connecticut against uh, St. Joseph's, a really, really talented team. We were down eight or nine at halftime. We weren't playing well. We came out, we won by, I don't remember what it was, eight, nine, 10 points. And uh, they're asking me after the game about all the adjustments. We don't make, we don't make any adjustments. We're not, we're not that smart. You know, we kind of calmed down and we, we changed our, you know, we maybe we changed our mentality a little bit. Uh, we changed our focus. We were able to kind of get the ball moving a little bit better. And at the end of the day, we, we probably just made more shots. So it's not, you know, it's not anything that's uh, brilliant that's going to happen during the game. You know, maybe it's substitutions and the use of timeouts and, and some management stuff like that. But if we're doing the work we're supposed to do in practice and our guys are bought in in terms of what we're doing in practice, it's really just kind of keeping them on the course and not letting them get, you know, not letting them get to a point where they make a couple of shots and they no longer are running offense. They're just, you know, jacking shots up uh, when they get down court. It's really just kind of that kind of, you know, pulling the reins a little bit, but there's not, there's not much in-game stuff and it allows you as a coach and I've always had that mentality in general I'm just in general kind of a, even if my heart's beating hard inside I always like to give off a kind of a poised and a calm persona because I want my players to play that way and you know it gives me the I, I get you know the way I look at it is I have the best seat in the house I get to sit right there the only thing that blocks me every so often is if the referee's positioned in front of me and then I got to get up to watch the game but you know other than that I should be able to sit and if we did our job in practice then our guys you know especially when you look at the court and you see some of the guys that we have out there right now in terms of talent it's a comforting feeling and that whole idea of mentality, right, and having that, that that calm persona, never too high, never too low, it's so important in the game of basketball and, and, and life in general. But right, thinking about how you guys are maybe defending, right, the second uh, greatest win streak in, D, in D3 history, there's a lot of pressure that comes along with that. How do you keep the team and, of course, maybe even yourself uh, calm, cool, and collected while, while maybe uh, dealing with that outside noise? Yeah, I don't think it really affects our guys so much. It's interesting. You know, we, we really never talked about it that much last year. In terms of the of the win streak and and even the year before when we were kind of going towards the Sweet 16, you know, at that point and had won a lot of games in a row, it was never something that was really discussed. I think our I think the year before we had won I don't remember what it was I think it was 17 in a row something like that. 
And then uh, I think Ryan and his guys at Farmingdale uh, beat us at home, I think, before the end of the season to end that streak. You know, I think after that, it kind of changed the mentality our guys had where they stopped kind of counting wins as they happened. And they were just kind of looking at whatever the next game was. And I know it's so cliche that, you know, you only focus on the game ahead, but there's a maturity aspect to that and, and a discipline aspect to that. And, and our guys kind of have it. And, you know, that's something that kind of flows down from here on in and, you know, transfers to each class as they come in. We're going to be in a pretty good place because we don't, we're not worried about, you know, I think it's I think it's 36 now that we've won in a row. We're, we're not worried about 37. We're worried about one. And, you know, it, it's kind of each time that builds up because, you know, the goal is not to win a certain amount of games in a row. The goal is to, you know, the goal is to obviously be alive for that last game in the national championship at the end of the year. So, you know, if, if your goals are right in your head in terms of what you're trying to, you know, what you're trying to accomplish, then, then your approach becomes very, very different. Definitely. I mean, that, that's so important, right, to, to, to think of it that way and to, and to really keep that that same composure, no matter what, whether, you, whether you have, you're 36 wins in a row or, or you're at zero or whatever it is, right, keeping that same mentality. Uh, but thinking maybe about, you, you, you've you been the favorite for such, a, for such a long time, but a lot of coaches talk about how they'd rather be the underdog. They'd rather come out of nowhere and, and, and take teams by surprise. Would you, in, the, in that same sense, would you rather be the favorite or the underdog? No, I, I always would rather be the favorite. I have no interest in being an underdog. I, I never have. I'm not, I'm not a big believer in the underdog story. Um, you know, I think uh, being an underdog is is something that people like to say after they lost that, oh, we, you know, we weren't supposed to win. If you win, then you were supposed to win. You're no longer the underdog. So I'd always, I'd rather be the favorite. I've said it before a few times, like give me the best players and and put all the, uh, put all the pressure on us. I and mean, that's what it's about. You want to, you want to be in that position. You want to be that number one team that everybody's gunning for. I mean, you know, it's, that's what the fun of sports is. I mean, otherwise, like, you know, what are you playing for? You know, I, I don't want to have a, a team that's, uh, you know, a 500 level team that's scratching to try to do something special. I'd rather have a team that's 29 and one level team that's trying to do something special because the chances of accomplishing it are a lot higher. So, yeah, I'd, I'd always rather be a favorite. I'm not I'm not a big believer in the underdog stuff. But in that same sense of an underdog stuff, you do still have to come back from bounce back losses. I mean, you guys did that right after the first game of the year, right? Uh, losing your first game and then going on right to rattle off those 29 straight wins. Can you kind of give us the story of maybe how that that loss turned into the win streak? And then right the next day after you guys come out and, and, and start and just get right back to where you left off? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 leadership. It's it's having the right guys in the locker room. Yeah, we got I mean, we went out to, uh, you know, California for those two games. I think we had a lot of California guys who were playing, obviously, uh, you know, in those games and, and they were excited and, and uh, I think we got away a little bit from what we do. And, you know, we, we, we got uh, Accidental, who was a very good team. They're always a very good team. They were very good that year as well. You know, gave us a little bit of a lesson early on, which was great. You know, we went to the locker room after the game. We sat for a while. We, you know, we yelled about a couple of things, players and coaches, just kind of getting frustration out. And then we went to, you know, breakfast the next morning, no time for any kind of a, of a practice or any kind of a shoot around or even, I don't even think we had, I don't even remember if we had a film session in between. We, we may have just gone and played Caltech. Like literally the game ended at like 11 o'clock Saturday night and we were playing Caltech, I think at one o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday the next day. And we went out there with just, honestly, just a different mentality and nothing changed in our X's and O's, nothing changed in our approach of how we wanted to handle the game. Nothing changed in our schemes defensively, obviously, other than, you know, personality, you know, personal stuff in terms of the scout, but the mentality of our guys changed. And I think it, it was what we were talking about earlier from this, un, you know, the unselfish, the selfless, our guys kind of went to that level. And once they did that with the talent they had, it was, you know, it was going to be hard to, you know, hard to lose games. Um, you know, certainly a lot of teams out there that could have beaten us. We had a lot of close games, but the way we were playing, we were going to always be in the position at the end of the game where we had a chance.
definitely right on that same on that same note of like coming back bouncing back like and and then being the favorite that you guys are i mean obviously the biggest reason for that well one of, one of the big reasons for that might be the, the mentality you guys have and how they're able to stay composed but another reason is that um there, there's 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 so many guys that are that are super talented like a ryan terrell who may consider to be uh, the best player in division three basketball i mean whether it's his versatility his efficiency what kind of makes him different and and, and is what allows uh, the team to move to move so, move so well behind him he works harder than anybody I've ever been around. A gym rat, obviously, and then he really, you know, every year comes back with, you know, new moves, better footwork, a little bit stronger, better defensively. He just, he comes back better every time he goes, you know, every time he goes to work. He just, he's a selfless kid. Like he just doesn't care about his production. He doesn't care about, you know, where the points come from. He is very, very goal oriented in terms of, you know, focusing on, on just winning games. And I think because of that, he's, you know, put us in that position. Obviously we have other players that are around him that do a great job as well. And, and, you know, our leaders in their own right, but um, you know, he certainly has put us in a position where, you know, we know we have a guy we can go to who, like you said, is probably the best player on the court every single game. And we also know at the same time, he's not going to take bad shots and he's not going to turn into a black hole or any of those things. And, and I think that, you know, his mentality and his maturity combined with the just super level of talent that he has, has, you know, not just made him an unstoppable player, it's really, it's made all of our players better around him. It's huge, such an important part of, of the story, right? Is having a, a guy that could be a leader like that and, and, and take on the mantle that he does. I mean, right, we've, we've said so much, so many great things about the work you've done at Yeshiva, but right, there has to be some way to tell that story. And you've done that um, in a great way with Jewish Hoops America, right? Even before for, before, before getting there and, and telling the story about, you know, what is going on in, in Jewish Hoops here in the States. I mean, kind of communicating that back to Israel and, and making that something that people can can learn more about. What was the process like in you, in you making that and, and telling that story? It's a website we had started way back. I don't run it anymore. We, you know, we have somebody who runs it now. But um, we ran it way back. It was uh, just kind of an opportunity for, you know, Jewish players in, in, in Jewish schools, mostly in Jewish schools, sometimes not, but Jewish players across the country to kind of be able to have like a platform where they could, you know, showcase their stats, showcase different teams and, and the results that they were having across the country. It was kind of a way to just bridge, you know, the Jewish day school basketball world from New York to California and Canada and everything in between. And, you know, we, we, there were rankings at certain points. Um, I believe they still have it. We would have different feature articles on, on players or, or teams that were doing special things. And it just kind of became a little bit of a, a very, very, uh, you know, poor man's ESPN for, uh, for the Jewish basketball world, which was exactly what we were trying to create. And um, I think it kind of allowed a lot of, it, it kind of allowed it to become a smaller world in terms of, in terms of that, you know, Jewish basketball world, which, uh, which I think was a really good thing. It's huge, and right, having that, that kind of meeting to tell that story is really cool, and to right, continue that, that that growth of the game in, in that sense. I and mean, we've spoken so much about basketball this entire podcast, but you're actually calling us now from your legal offices uh, in, in Long Island. But during the season, you juggle both. Uh, now during the summer, you make it focus on one thing. I mean, what's that maybe been like in you, and you're juggling both? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that I've been doing forever. Even when I was coaching high school, I was practicing law full time. It was one of the things that was important to me when I when I was going to Yeshiva. I, I, I do love my law practice. It's something that I enjoy and, and obviously make a living doing. You know, it was important to me to be able to kind of work out having Yeshiva be something that was more of a, you know, it's more of a passion that's a, kind of a side gig than than actually full time. I mean, obviously spend plenty of hours on it and, and lose a lot of sleep, uh, you know, spending time watching film and, and preparing. But that's, you know, it's a labor of love. It comes a lot easier it's it's very easy to wake up at 5 15 in the morning to go to practice when you love it you know and uh you know being able to go from there to obviously here and, and be somewhere at, you know in in the legal practice and something that i enjoy and 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 part 
taken throughout the, you know, the, the remainder of the day and most of the day is, is great as well. And, and the ability to kind of handle both is, you know, my father used to always say to me, if you need to get something done, find the busiest person you know, and they'll figure out how to manage their time. And I think that's kind of all it's been is, is a function of figuring out how to manage time appropriately and making sure that I, uh, you know, prioritize obviously my clients at work and, and the deals that are going on and then uh, be able to obviously work in the things we need to do at Yeshiva to be successful. I love it. And, and hearing right all these sides of, of your story, right, and, 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 caps, and, and creating such a great program, but also just right, living this basketball life and this, and this journey you've been on is incredible and inspiring to me. So thank you so much, Coach Ali, for joining the show. It's been incredible. And can't wait, hopefully, to catch a game next season and, and, and see the lessons you've shared with us today be put out onto the court. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hope to see you there for sure. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to Gen Z Hoops. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all major social media platforms at Gen Z Hoops. You can tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other podcast platform on the planet. Get ready for the next episode.